Good morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Will Germain. Today I'm talking with three veterans who are all now students about their decision to enlist, what it's like to be in war, and the experience of going back to school. Can you guys introduce yourselves? Sure. Uh, my name is uh, Carlos Gonzalez, uh, United States Army, retired, 12 years. Current major is a uh, political science. Amir Vincent. I was in the Army as well. I was out of PSYOPs. Special Operations a Support Unit. Um, I was in 1st Armored Division. And um, where, where are you from? In, in I'm from Mount Vernon. I'm actually from Mount Vernon, New York. Close. And my major is Computer Science. My name is Daniel Hodd. Um, I'm a finance major at Fordham, a former Marine. Starting here in 2009. Uh, I suppose, honestly, on the recommendation <coughs> of one of my, you know, my commanding officer at the time, suggested Fordham, and uh, you know, thus far, it's been a great place. All right. So that was it. That was the whole it. question. Okay. First question was easy. <laughs> that was the first question. All right. So now I'm getting now, now that was just the conversation started. Now the real first question, Carlos. Why did you decide to enlist? I grew up downtown in the Lower East Side area, and it was uh, I grew up there from the 80s and 90s, and during that era, it wasn't like one of the best. It was during the Koch and Dinkin era, and growing up in that time was uh, real difficult, crack infested. So uh, one of my outlets as uh, one of my personal goals was to graduate from high school and then uh, go forward to to the United States Army and enlist. Which eventually I did, and um, but I didn't think it was going to be a career. So it had always been a goal for you. It was a goal from when you were young. It was just it was an uh, actual goal. It was an right. achievement of mine. And then uh, I just thought it was going to be a one-term enlistment, but uh, it went from three years into twelve. Amir, when I initially enlisted, I was uh, I was sixteen and eight months. I was really uh, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a decision. Is that even legal? It, it, it is <laughs> actually my my, my my mother my mother, you know, she had to sign over legal guardianship from. To the government, the reason why I did went, I did go was because um, the the kind of the neighborhood I grew up in, I saw my uncle go to the military. He came back. He was National Guard. My sister had went prior. Family, family. yeah, family. But I think it was more or less for me to kind of as a form of escape. I was playing basketball at the time. Things didn't really go well. I got in some trouble, and scholarship, you know, went away. Yeah. So the only other outlet that I had was kind of the military to try to take up a trade. I didn't really wasn't a trade guy, so what I, I didn't want to waste my parents and my grandmother's money, so I just raised my hand and, you know, put my life on the line, and I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I always wanted to be a Marine uh, ever since I was a little kid. You know, tribute to the Marine Corps' marketing machine, I suppose. Uh, my older brother was also a Marine, and, um, you know, there's something about the characteristics and attributes that, you know, the American public, you know, associates with Marines that I wanted to possess. But uh, I actually left. I left college in 2001 to go to boot camp. So I know there's a. When I first started here, there was kind of a misconception among peers and class that have a student say something like, "Well, don't raise your hand and say, well, don't people most people join the military because they have no other options.'" I think that's patently false. Yeah, especially in this in the the trio here, it yeah. seems like. That wasn't the case with really any of you. Yeah. Maybe a little with the mirror because the scholarship fell through, but it seems like you guys had always been involved with the military, family members, and Definitely. it being a lifetime yeah. goal. Did anybody not want you to join? Absolutely. Mom, <laughs> Mom was scared. <laughs> I mean, not for me. I knew. Everybody wanted Carlos to go. Definitely. Well, not me. <laughs> okay. nah, lifetime. Nah, 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 not me at all. What? I think when I did... When I did join, when I did sign those papers, my mother was kind of crying like, you're going to be home in two weeks because your attitude is horrible. You don't, <laughs> you don't really want to listen to anybody at this point in your life. 
And I think I don't really think is I I had options. I had plenty of options. You know, I just chose to do that because I think, like I said, on the disciplinary side of things, I don't really feel like I had I had structure in the house. But when you're raised by women and grandparents and aunts, you know, and the father's kind of missing. So for me, I kind of just uh, try to make my first responsible decision, man, and um and just man up. Dan, did anyone? Not want you to join. I like the way he put that first responsible decision. That's yeah. the way I can put it as well. That's a good. That's a good way to. That's that's like definitely. It's like the first step in adulthood. Yep. You know? Yeah, that was definitely but, uh, well put, well said. But you know, my 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 mother, I like Amir. When I when I first enlisted, I was seventeen. I was about to turn eighteen, but I was seventeen at the time. Okay. I was so eager to do it. <laughs> um, my mother. Like mothers often do. I mean, was crying at the recruiter in their house. And, really? You know, why are you taking my son away? <laughs> but she also saw that, you know, my my older brother, by that point, had already become a marine, and she saw the changes in him and how it grew to define who he is. And so, I ultimately, she she accepted the fact that this is something I was going to do. Can you describe the the sort of first memory that you have that you would call like the first memory of deployment? I mean, was there like a touchdown in overseas and you're like, now I'm here? Carlos, please. Yeah, my first uh, actual deployment was a hardship tour to South Korea. Hardship. Hardship. That means that you don't have any family members. You're going to be gone for approximately 12 to 13 months doing whatever missions or whatever jobs required of you at that time. And you're only allowed home for no more than 30 days for approximately 12 to 13 months. And... This is just yourself and the rest of your unit, and that goes for everybody else. I'm in the Army now. I think I was in Germany. I was in First Army Division before I went to Fort Bragg. Um, and I was the youngest. I was 17, so for me, I worked in the S2. S2 is like the intelligence section. Like the S2 yeah, yeah, intelligence, intelligence. I was just doing a bunch of map overlays. Military yeah. intelligence section. That's I, what I was S2 doing map is. overlays, and it was an Army unit. So being that it's an army unit, you deal with a lot of mechanized tank, infantry, et cetera. So I thought that I was going to get a desk job. I thought I was going to be cooling behind the computer, <laughs> chilling, you know, yeah, you got it, shades man. on. Oh, I had it wrong. I had it wrong. So when they got me, they sent me They sent me the first army division. When I got there, he thought he thought I was ROTC. He said, who let you in the army? I said, I finished. I gave him my orders. He said, you could be my son. And from there, that was kind of like my first. He took me under the wing. And they didn't treat me like a, they soldiered me, but they soldiered, they nurtured me. From my transition from boyhood into manhood, it was harsh, but it was fair. And you take what you learn from the streets, and when you apply that to kind of like this type of climate, if you are strong-headed enough, it only makes you a better man and a better human being. What year you went in? You're talking about 98, 99. Old-timer. Wow, and I'm a boot compared to you. And guys. Dan, what was, what was your? You know, I finished up at at MEPS, Military Entrance Processing Station, like where you do all your paperwork mm -hmm. and all that stuff. I finished up there in August of 2001, so I swore in, signed signed everything, a month before 9/11. I then went to school in Boston for composition, you know, for a few months. So September 11th, I wasn't in the military yet, per se, because I hadn't gone to boot camp or in, in initial training. But when September 11th happened, it was a very real moment for me because I knew it was very likely that huh. the next few years were going to be quite different from how I had imagined them. So you were like in the process of enlisting, then 9-11 happened, and now you're like, right. it's going to be a different experience now. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and it wasn't, you know, it, was, it wasn't one that I stride away from at all. You're right. You know, it's just, it is what it is. It was just a kind of a wake-up call. I think after that, as far as memories, there, I'm sure each of us can share 
your first moments in recruit training or, mm, you know, stories. first getting to your, you know, getting to your unit for the first time or stepping off a plane in Kuwait. You know, those are very yeah. significant moments. Um, Hot. Yeah. The heat. <laughs> Hot. Um, if you would have described yourself, like, in just, a, I don't know, a few words or a short sentence, as the person who left and then describe the person who came back. Absolutely. Brainwashed. <laughs> yeah. So what was it? So what? Was, so like, describe yourself first. Like the person yeah. leaving, you know, young, uh, ambitious, and then and then the, a few words for the person who came back. Wow. I was definitely young. I was eager. I was ambitious. I, ambitious. I had something to prove. I had a point to prove more or less to myself than everybody else. Like I, when I came back, I was a little bit more hardened by like certain things in different climates of the world that kind of like opened up my eyes and through living through other people's experiences and listening to other people's stories of where they came from and how there's a lot of similarities but because of the way we are brought up it kind of makes you feel like you know I mean I feel like everyone gains something from this experience does did they, does anyone lose, lose something time yeah what do you lose wow 12 years in the service you lose your family you lose your wife, you lose your kids, you go through serious hardships with that because you're so dedicated and to ensure that, you know, that, that they have the best and that they always gonna always get the best. And to do that, you always have to keep working. And for some of us, this not only became a, a form of employment, but also a way of life. And then Absolutely. the military became a form of family to us. And so when you with that family, with the other family, you have they have to understand as well. And if they're not conformed to that, usually 70% of them don't, then the case is divorce. And mm -hmm. the Rampant. distance between you and your children becomes so huge is because you're stuck on deployments, you're stuck on missions. If you come back home, then you go on training missions. And when you return back from the training missions, you prepare to deploy again because you prepare to go for your next mission again. So it's always a constant rotation of work and exercises and rotations. So when you are home and you do get that break, it's like the family's not even there because they, their day-to-day -day activities, is, it's without you anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're just non-existent. Are you guys all totally happy that you served? Or is there any regrets whatsoever? 100%. Amir? I regret it a little bit, yeah, Can, to be honest. Like... Nah, because I felt like I feel like things that I could have done that I didn't do because I made that decision. But ultimately, if it's in God's hands, there's nothing I can really do about yeah, it. Not that me, th right. Yeah, but I, when I made that choice, I didn't see that I may have been put a limit to other opportunities I should have taken at that time because there was another route to go. So, I mean, um, it's, it's a regret um, I can live with, though. It's not an easy answer. It was either stay behind and continue the the wrongdoings and the misguided life that I was living or to go somewhere and become something a lot better and provide something for my children but with that being said I didn't know that the distance between the family was going to occur so I did what I thought was best for my family so at the end of the day I never will regret what I chose to do so no I love the decision I made especially after coming to Fordham University and you know, going through the classes and dealing with the philosophy and dealing with theology and just becoming more enlightened, you just see to realize that the best decision was to move forward in life. I, I feel like a lot of people are not sure if it's okay to ask about, like, your possible combat experiences over there. Obviously, that's on everyone's mind when they meet veterans. I had a friend who came back from Afghanistan, and he and he was a close friend, and I didn't even feel comfortable asking yeah. him. Is it something that 
you know, in general, you're willing to talk about, or would you prefer people don't ask you about it? Is it on everyone's minds? I, well, I'm not sure that it is anymore, and I'll, mm. I'll justify okay. my mm. statement. When I returned in 2003 from my Iraq deployment, war was new to this country. You know, people asked, they wanted to know, um, they wanted to understand the experience. One of the challenges I've found at Fordham, you're surrounded by people who have now been worn out by being at war for a decade, particularly peers like like students and you know, people like the younger people. They grew up with these wars. You know, most of us were in Iraq when they were like eight. You know what I mean? So I one of the things that I found here is that many people either no longer they think they have the answers or they're kind of worn out from it or they don't they don't have the framework and background to even know what questions to ask mm -hmm. desensitized to it right they're absolutely exactly. desensitized yeah. and I, I don't mean that in any sense that you know people don't care i'm not saying that at all but i do think that that the public sentiment you know with regards to how returning veterans are are treated or you know are inquired about has changed over time if mm. if you guys met um you know, like after coming home, if you guys met another veteran and then you guys become friendly, is your combat experiences something you two would talk about? I think it's a camaraderie that you have with anybody, no matter what branch they served in. Like he was in the Marines, but I wouldn't look at him any different because I know the sacrifice he put up. I know Carlos, you know, his situation, the, the ultimate sacrifice is you had the gore to put your life on the line, even though you may it may not have been voluntarily nobody really wants to deploy because you don't know if you're coming back i mean i've lost friends i'm pretty sure these guys have lost friends but it's not a situation where i watch them die i don't think the experience of people are really scared to ask you i just think they really don't want to hear what you really may have to say because yeah, they not only are they desensitized like dan said that type of truth may hurt it's not hollywood anymore it's real I'm Will Germain on 90.7 WFUV, speaking with Carlos Gonzalez, Amir Vincent, and Daniel Hod about their experiences in war and now what it's like to go back to school. I would like to know, um, <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you guys lose anyone? The first person I lost, I lost uh, my man Sergeant Nunn. I lost a friend called Theodore. Those were my first two people that I knew that had died because of like a landmine or something like Theodore got sniper fire. Um, Sergeant Nunn tried to deactivate a, a landmine with his with his Gerber. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? The, mm -hmm. We know the Gerber. Gerber's like this tool, like a Swiss Army knife, but it has it's a multi-tool. He tried to deactivate it with his... I don't really know what's going through his head, but, you know. Uh, Sergeant Benke, uh, one of my uh, jobs out there was uh, convoy security, personal security detail. I did a lot of... Uh, transportation and uh one day he uh he was pulling gunner in his uh, vehicle vehicle rollover and so uh his vertebrae snapped in half and he instantly died that's long story short you had been serving with him yeah we were serving together in the same unit in iraq what's it like for the whole unit uh, that it, night after uh, after something like morning. that you know they give you a few hours you know, to let you mourn, you know, they do mass, and it's back to work as usual. But it's, it's just because somebody passes away doesn't mean anything stops. Everything keeps going. You evacuate the 
the injured, the KIA, and that's that. Are you different after something like that? Is the rest of is the experience different? No. No. It's back to work. Yeah, there's uh Mike Glover, Lance Corporal. He uh you know he you know, they were on patrol. I didn't I didn't serve directly with, with Mike Glover. But uh you know, he was shot by a sniper, his captain went out to go get his body, he was shot by a sniper. And I don't really like talking about that kind of stuff, you know, honestly. But I think uh, when those things happen, and even like guys like us, if we're here and you hear about people that you served with in the past who are now deployed and they get hurt, you know, there's a, there are a lot of emotions that go along with that. I think it's safe to say that guilt is a pretty common one, you yeah. know, because we're here. Definitely. You know, and we're not there, not in harm's way. 1,000% um, true. I think that's probably the the biggest one. That's certainly one of the hardest decisions I had to make in my life was, you know, coming after my 2003-04 deployment was to not deploy in 2005. You know, I, I made that decision because, you know, my family circumstances at the time, they needed me for various things. And it, it was a really, really difficult decision, you know, because in my mind, you're screwed either way. You either in a sense, betray junior Marines who look up to you or you betray your family. You know, there's no winning there. And the bond that, at least for me, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way, the bond you have with subordinates in that sense is a very strong one. Mm. And they deployed and a bunch of them got hurt. So there's a lot of guilt associated with that. We can make sense of the death. We can make sense of, you know, people getting hurt, of, of the actions themselves. But the guilt is something you can never really, really address. But the guilt, I think, is initial. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's, that's the first, before you get a chance to digest it and kind mm -hmm. of break down the levels of why such and such happened. If I was there, if I'd have made another decision and may have stayed with my unit or, or re-enlisted or actually pulled out. So <clears throat> I think when you kind of find a form of resolve in it, you you know what I'm saying? It, yeah. it, over time, it takes time. It's like anything else in life. When when people die, whether they die in the street or whether they die in the military, the thing is time. But you always feel guilty if you felt like you could have done something about it. And that's I think where any soldier, when it's somebody that you love and care about, and you see them on a daily coming through your tent, and now you got to pack up their stuff. That's when that's when the roller coaster of emotions kind of get involved and it's, and it's something that you carry for a lifetime. I don't think you're just going to get over like like Daniel mm -hmm. said. It's you go from guilt to kind of being able to deal with it and come to some form of resolution. Makes sense. Do some people um not make sense? Do some people Sometimes some you got to make sense of something not making sense if it makes sense. You understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Like if it's something like a friendly fire or somebody not discharging a weapon or clearing that weapon or something silly that you something trained about, stupid. something silly. Now, that's mm -hmm. things that you can't, you make sense of something not making sense. Like, why would you come in a tent and not take your magazine out of your weapon and you drop it on the, on the bunk and now the weapon goes off and the Joe across gets shot. Now he's dead and you got it because you didn't clear your weapon. You understand? <laughs> you know what? To bounce off of that, I'd say... It's like everybody handles things differently. You can expose, Ooh, you know, yeah. right? You can expose yeah. two yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely. So it's hard. You know, I've seen this even here on this campus. I, you meet veterans, you know, who 
are far the farthest away from combat arms job specialty that you can get. <laughs> and they're and they may have some issue transition or adjustment issue. Yeah. You know, because maybe it's just the it could be their upbringing, it could be, you know, their just their predisposition to to problems. You know, and then you can meet a guy who was in, you know, some SEAL team, hard dude, you know, and, and he's carrying on with life, marching on like nothing ever <laughs> happened. You know what I mean? So in public. In public, at least. But you know what I'm saying. Um, I mean, for me, mine, what mine, mine wasn't that way. You know, I didn't. I just. This is what it is. This is the job. This is what comes with the job. People come. People go. And when it was said and done, and the job was over, I came back home, went back to work again, and it was like that for years. It wasn't until about a year and a half ago that it finally hit me, mm. you know, and it was uh, like one of the memorial days. And I just thought how unfair it was for all that and how much of a good man and every other issue that went through my head that day. But it took about, I say, about seven, eight years before I really recognized it. But that right there was like one of the pinnacle moments for me to finally realize, like, listen, you know, you can't just you can't just store everything for the rest of your life. It's impossible. You just you're only human. Yeah. I mean, we're not machines. You can you can't keep this forever. Uh, you have to find an outlet. What was that for you? Well, one of the ways that I deal with my uh, with my own the personal demons is uh, I talk to my veterans as much as I have a chance. I'm uh, with the Wounded Warrior Project organization. You know, I do a lot of volunteering work, but just to keep myself integrated with military personnel to keep the camaraderie going so there's some sort of common bond parallel bond so to say so life can continue to go on that that was all like you know some it was all like really personal heavy stuff now you guys are students you guys are like going back to school like yeah. man, what was the first day back to school like I will, I will say this. Better than being shot at. I, was, I, I say this, though. I say this, man, because these are my brothers. Like, these are my brothers in arms. Like, I don't even forget the blood, forget the uniforms, but they made a, they made a decision I made. And anybody that shares a common belief that what we stood for and what we put on the line, they are my brothers. Like, if he needs me, and I don't speak to him all the time, but when I first came to school, he embraced me, showed me, showed me love. He said, Amir, this is what you need to do. So he pointed me in the right direction, Carlos. Help me get more money. So he definitely, you know, <laughs> he, <laughs> definitely he definitely helped me. You know, Dan, everybody put me in the right direction, man. And it's like I started to notice that on the campus itself there was a division amongst. Because I was one of those veterans that people didn't, you wouldn't know if I didn't tell you. They looked at me like, huh, do you play basketball or does he? Because nobody knew. I said, yo, I was in the Army. Then it's like, oh, okay, now it makes sense. So I ended up at Fordham to make the most of my time, to maximize with the time I had. And I met good people, including yourself. So when you're around intelligent people, they say still sharp and still, man. So I'm amongst sharper knives and people that's equally as sharp. So I'm only becoming a better person. Like it's strengthening my core and I'm around my brothers and I'm around people that want to be better. So you're only going to become a better person. What was the first day <clears throat> being back at, um, at first? <clears throat> wow. Uh, my first day back was in uh, BMCC. Uh, Borough Manhattan Community okay, College. Yeah. I uh, got my associate's degree. And then when I transitioned here to Fordham, it was like uh, day and night. I took night classes here, and that was the improvement. You know, I was happy that I went to college. I was ecstatic about it all. But the experience was that when I came to Fordham University and took the night courses, you know, they treated they treated everyone, I, I guess, 
they dress everyone as adults. Yeah. And they expect you to do and handle yourself like an adult and be a professional at the task that you do and and handle your business. Essentially, and it's like, this is you. Here's your syllabus. Come to class if you want. And if you don't and you fail, you know why. You don't bring in the work. This is why. Nobody's chastising you. Nobody's berating you. And there's no one patronizing you. You know exactly why because you're a grown adult. You should know what to do. Yeah. And mm. that's exactly what made Fordham University night courses an experience for me. Yeah, I'd say, you know what, my first day, the first day that I set foot here, I had just finished the martial arts instructor course for the Marine Corps. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, so it was like <laughs> six hours of, of obstacles and fighting each other, and then like, <laughs> like severe dehydration, and I walked here for like the evening orientation. And so, you know, I was pretty pretty bewildered just because I was dehydrated, but also because it was a very new environment. I had no idea what the heck was going on. But when I was speaking to the veteran entry counselor, and Ford did a great job because they got ahead of veterans, you know, recruiting. So they suggested I start in the evening program, you know, because, you know, like Carlos was saying, you're an adult, you're, they're treat, you're treated like an adult, you know, the professor's probably teaching somewhere else during the day, he's got things to do, everybody has work or something going on, and, um, you know, it puts the ball in your court as to, as, as to how, how, how fast you, you adjust to this environment. There are a few real challenges with being here, you know. Such uh, as? Over the long term, such as, well, you know, one is the social challenge. Mm -hmm. you know, on one hand, you, you feel you're, you're part of a school. I mean, depending, everyone's different, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't have a family myself. All right, so, Me right, all right, so Mir's in the same boat. So there's a culture at the school. There's, there's, there are social structures at the school that are very hard for you to penetrate because you're one year older, you know, and you don't speak the same language basically. I mean, no, not at all. You know, you're just like, you just are, you're the old dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're the old guy in the corner of the bar. And you guys don't look that old, just so, just so you know. Oh, yeah, but there's, you know, the experience. I know, the experience, I know. Like, I, the experiences, I think, is what ages you. I remember when, when Carlos walked into my summer class. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and I just sort of thought, like, I don't think he graduated high school last year, <laughs> you know? and he's the only one, you know, you know, who's got tattoos and you know, <laughs> like, like that's what I was thinking. The basic stereotype. <laughs> I mean, I just yeah. looked at him like, okay, I like, I want to get to know him because you know, I'm curious now. Yeah. Well, I think one other aspect of it is that you know, each of us has to make an adjustment based yeah. on what we did in the military. I mean, look at Carlos. I don't know how many was it twelve, twelve years. You twelve said? years. All right, so. A pretty senior dude probably had a substantial number of subordinates. You know, a lot of responsibility. Then you go into a classroom. It does require an adjustment to change your role from hey, you walk in a room and that's your house to now okay, it's somebody else's house and you're a student. Yeah, I think it takes a level of maturity which I'm sure we mm -hmm. all have exercised. The humbling effect. Very humbling. Luckily, each of us has been humbled before in <laughs> very, very big ways. Very big ways. <laughs> Humility comes quickly. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, unfortunately, we're we're running out of time. But being now going from the military, now being a student, do you feel like you've lost anything? It was a chapter in my life. It's not the whole book. So for me, when I look at it, like okay, phase one was you know maybe God took me through from my neighborhood to the military, back to my neighborhood to school. To be a man is, and becoming a better man is a lifelong progress. You know, what I'm saying it's a work mm -hmm. in progress. I feel like I'm a work in progress at all times, and I'm always. I'm always ready to modify how I think if that modification means I'm going to become stronger or better. 
Does you want your service to be appreciated by the young students here, or is that not even a thing? Oh gosh, no, I can I'm not gonna say I could care less, but um, I would like for them to understand, be a little bit more educated, mm. be knowledgeable of cognizant of what veterans go through. You know, just have a sense because the war is coming down to an end and there's been over a million veterans that served. So there's going to be a lot of human beings returning home. And so more more of them is going to come to school. So it'll be, it'll be more helpful, but is it as important? No. Would it be useful? Yes. Yeah, I would, to bounce off of you, Carlos, man, I don't think any of us is looking for thank yous or, yeah. you know, don't need, you know, people giving us praise or anything. But the understanding, I think, how, if developing a sense of understanding, knowing that we exist, there are more than 300 of us across Fordham schools now, knowing that we exist and understanding what challenges that, that may come with that always, you know, will help to ease a transition yeah. mm -hmm. you know, institutionally and on the personal level. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty much out of time. That's all the <laughs> questions I had. You know, I just want to say thanks to you guys. Thank you. I mean, Likewise. I mean, I understand you guys were like opening up to me, and I really appreciate that. And it's I, not a problem. And, appreciate uh, it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for bringing That's awareness. Nice. You know? I mean, it definitely I think, helps. Uh, the segment of student veterans is going to grow. I mean, it already has from 40 at this school in 2009 to more than 300 now. We just graduated 60, so we're still picking up more. You know, it's a lot, and it's uh, it's going to be a national issue, Huge more so issue. than it already is. Sooner or later. Thank Great. you. Thank Hello. you. Thanks. Pleasure, Thank you. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us. George Bodarki and Cityscape are next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Will Germain. I dig my hole, you build a wall.